Young people, <clears throat> book of Proverbs tonight will be in the book of Proverbs, chapter number 23, I'm sorry, chapter 22 to begin with, uh, Proverbs chapter number 22, and uh, as I've already mentioned tonight, uh, I have a little bit more to get to, and it may, I may not speak any longer than I normally do, but I just don't want to, it's an important subject tonight, and I just don't want to... Uh, rush through anything uh, so that we can get everything that we need this evening. And uh, I, we're going to uh, look into Proverbs chapter number 22, and we'll read uh, one verse. And then as we've been doing uh, each and every week, we'll go to several verses in this chapter, uh, looking at a different subject, talking about the people of Proverbs, uh, looking at different uh, people, types of people uh, in the book of Proverbs. And we're reminded that God tells us how to deal with all types of people. Uh, he tells us how to avoid being certain types of people, what to do if we are certain types of people. And certainly there are certain types of people we should be striving uh, to, be, to be by. Every week when I uh, uh, get the next one ready and I'm, and I'm thinking about praying about which one to teach next, and as I've been doing these studies, I'm reminded every single week that God has a recipe. God has instruction. We make life a whole lot more complicated because we don't pay attention to what God says. And we need to let God, I'm also reminded, we need to let God define uh, who we are, what we are. And because, you know, let's be honest, you'll lie to yourself. We lie to ourselves. Because uh, a lot of times that's easier or more pleasant than the truth. And uh, we need to let God define all of that. And so let's look at Proverbs chapter 22. Look at verse number 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Tonight we are going to do our study on dealing with the child. Dealing with the child. Now, if you are a parent and your children are still at home, you're still rearing your children, I want you to listen very, very carefully to me tonight. Um, if you have, if you, if you are hoping God gives you children in the future, uh, then listen very, very carefully to me tonight. If you have already reared your children, don't turn me off because the principles I teach tonight might help you with your grandchildren. Uh, the principles tonight uh, can be applied to a Sunday school teacher, uh, can be applied to somebody who works in ministry with children. And so uh, I want you to listen very, very carefully to me tonight. We're going to pray and then I'm going to get right into it. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say some of this could challenge your thinking. What I mean by that is this is the way that I've always thought it should be. Or this is what Oprah said. I don't think there'll be anybody in here like that. But this is, this is what my grandmother said. Or this is the way that I always thought it would be. Again, we got to line up with what God has said. Uh, God is the giver of life. God is the one who created the home. If there's an expert on the home, I think it would be God. If there's an expert on rearing children, I think it would be God. And so let's pay attention to what the Bible says about dealing with the child. Father, help us tonight as we... Consider these truths, what a responsibility it is to be able to invest into the life of another. How much greater the responsibility is when it's our own children. And Father, tonight, maybe there'll be somebody sitting here tonight and maybe their children have already grown. The truth tonight can help them uh, as they even help their grown children in the rearing of that next generation. Uh, the truths tonight certainly will help those who are uh, in the process of rearing their children. Uh, if nothing else, we get a picture tonight of how you established uh, the child to be dealt with. And certainly in this world, uh, we certainly need to be aware of, of the things that you've established. May you bless the study tonight. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The book of Proverbs, as you know, gives specific instructions and wisdom on dealing with a child. Uh, tonight, the context of dealing with a child, uh, we're going to give it, as I've already said, in the context of a parent-child relationship. But certainly, the context can be applied to any influence that you have with a child. Um, the, uh, this is a great study tonight for uh, our teachers in our Christian school. This is going to be a great study for those who teach in our, and work in our children's program. 
this is a great study for grandparents when your children <clears throat> drop off your grandkids for uh, an un specified amount of time. Uh, however it can apply, this is very helpful, but the book of Proverbs gives some very specific instructions. Wisdom on dealing with a child. We need God's wisdom when it comes to rearing children, dealing with children, um, because the truth of the matter is, no matter how much we think we know, uh, there are things in those children we did not anticipate. There's scenarios that we, we never uh, had play out in our mind. Just as, the book of the, just as this book of the Bible tells us how to deal with a fool, how to deal with a scorner, how to deal with a simple, how to deal with a sluggard, how to deal with a wise, we are given specific instructions when dealing with a child. Now, our attention to these instructions will go a long way to determining whether a child will be considered wise or one of the less desired characters described in this book. So, the book of Proverbs gives us characteristics. A child has not yet become one of the characters that we see on the pages of the book of Proverbs. They're going to become one of the characters on the pages of the book of Proverbs. Now, everybody has a free will. No, but when they get to that age of they're an adult, they, they're going to make those decisions. But we, as those who have the authority, those who have the influence starting in the home and otherwise, much of our paying attention to what God says is going to determine, it's going to go a long way to determine which one of those characters they end up becoming. Now, there's a key principle. I'm going to give you some, 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 I'm going to spend some time in the introduction before we get to the different passages. There's a key principle when it comes to dealing with a child and it's obedience. We think of children, well, they need to obey. I'm not talking about the child obeying. I'm talking about the parent obeying. I'm talking about the adult obeying. Young people, y'all like this so far, don't you? Uh, we have to obey God in the way He says we are to deal with the child. I'll get ahead of myself. Mom and Dad, you do what God says to do with your child. Don't worry about what anybody else says or thinks. Don't worry about, well, somebody's judging me. There's only one person you got to be concerned about judging you when it comes to that child that they put in your home, and that's God. We need to follow, it's obedience. We need to get in our mind that we have to obey. For that parent, that adult, we, that's the key principle is obedience. While we cannot make choices for a child when they become an adult, many children are set up for failure because they were not treated as the Bible says to treat them. Now, many of you have, your children are already adults. You've reared your children. And there's decisions that they make that, that if you could make it for them, you would make it for them. You can't do that. You know that. Uh, you can't go back and, and change things. You can't, you can't decide for them. But those who still have their children at home, I want you to listen very carefully to me. You can't decide for them when they are an adult, but you can do a lot for them before they become an adult. The key principle is obeying God. Now, tonight, I'm going to challenge a lot of mindsets that you find in this world. I'm going to run through some of them before I get to the, the key principles I want to give. And I guarantee you, all of us are going to find ourselves at least once or will have found ourselves in one of these particular things. Because we as adults need to understand what I've been, I've been, I've been emphasizing in past weeks. We, we deal with young people and young adults. They, they, they get frustrated because things they don't know, they think they should know. Because they've never, they've never been there before. But we as adults are the same way. So we have these preconceived ideas or notions that we get from life, and we need to make sure, and like in every other area, we need to make sure they line up with what God has said. Are you ready? Let me give you some failures today by adults when dealing with the child. I'm going to give you some failures, then I'm going to give you some principles. Many adults continue in dealing with the way they were dealt with as a child, 
instead of dealing with the way the Bible instructs them to deal with a child. Let me read that again. Many adults continue in dealing with the way they were dealt with as a child instead of dealing with the way the Bible instructs them to deal with the child. The way your mama did it might line up with the Bible, but it might not. And we have a responsibility to not just take what somebody else did, but we must take what somebody else did and see, is it lined up with the Bible? Now, I'm not going to criticize a previous generation. That's not my point tonight. You and I have teaching that they may not have had. And there's some of you tonight, you weren't saved when you reared your children. You'd give anything to, to have been saved and to rear them in a church like this. You can't do anything about that tonight. So, so, so don't, don't, don't beat yourself up about that. But the point I'm making tonight is we have at some point, and you may be a first-generation Christian, and you may say, you may say, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but my child, I want them to grow up in a Christian home. Then we must not continue dealing with the way that we were dealt with as a child if it doesn't line up with the way the Bible instructs us to deal with the child. Everybody with me so far? Many deal with the child, another failure, many deal with the child in an incorrect way because they consider their child to be an exception. I know there's no parent here that thinks your child is exceptional. Um, let me define that. Exceptionally good or exceptionally bad. Well, I know the Bible says that I'm supposed to deal with them this way, but, but my child is, is exceptionally good. But probably... 99.9% of you, that thought's never gone through your head. But maybe this one has. I'm the exception, and God will make an allowance because my child is exceptionally bad. And just because your child is exceptionally good or exceptionally bad, and a lot of times what we call bad isn't necessarily just bad. It's because, I'll get to that in a moment. But be that as it may, that does not mean we've, we stray from what God has said. This is the eternal word of God. He's not adding to it. He's not changing it. He gave life. He created every child, including yours. He gave them the personality. He gave them their stubbornness through their parents. He gave them... He, get, he, he created a life for them. He has a purpose for them. He has a plan for them. So this book fits the rearing of that child. So there should be no exceptions. Here's the one that I have tucked in here that's going to challenge many parents. Let an outside influence such as family or culture override what God has laid out in Scripture. Many parents let an outside influence, such as family or culture, override what God has laid out in Scripture. When it comes to the rearing of your children, if what Mama says is different than what the Bible says, don't listen to Mama. If the Bible, what the Bible says is different than what Granny says, don't listen to Granny. I know I'm going to be all alone tonight. I knew it before I ever got up here. Uh, what, the, the, the culture. I'm going to be a little more specific. The, a lot of times, even as Christian parents, we love the Hollywood culture. Tell us off of some talk show or off of some reel or off of something, well, this is the way we do, this is the way children ought to be, and this is, this is the world. If it doesn't line up with this book, it doesn't matter what society thinks. When it comes to how God says to rear children, I don't care what the public school system says. I, 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 don't, I don't care what the government says. God is above all, and we need to stop letting culture override what God says. I'm going to teach on this when it comes to the home in general before too long. The Hollywood culture, America's culture. Um, here we go. I see, I see the gym kids back there. I know their, their dad fairly well. I know their grandparents fairly well. 
Navajo culture should not override what God has said. And I'll use them as an example because I know it doesn't. But the Spanish culture shouldn't override what the Bible says. Well, it's our culture. So? The European culture, the black culture, did I leave anybody out? Filipino culture, Miss Faye. <laughs> Daryl was waving at me. Please say Filipino. <laughs> the redneck culture. The white trash culture. I'll just keep going. The point is, tradition should not override Scripture. I have southern roots. Thank you for that. Southern roots. I mean, they're about as southern as southern can be. And by the way, I'm proud of my southern roots. But the thing about the south and the southern roots, and I see some of my family back there eyeballing me with my southern roots. We have opinions. It just so happens our opinions are right. 99.9% of the time, 100% of the time when compared to the northern ideas. But let me just say it. I had to to distract you from where I'm going. But where tradition does not line up with Bible, Bible must take precedence. Be proud of your culture. We live in a day where we're told not to be proud of who we are, proud of where we come from, proud of all those things. Be proud of that. But let's be honest enough to say when it doesn't line up with Scripture, it doesn't line up with Scripture. I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud to, I'm I'm patriotic. I love all those things. But where my patriotism contradicts what the Bible says, Scripture overrides. This is especially true when it comes to our children. And by the way, I'm going to teach on this when it comes to the home as well. What the Bible says, there still should should be leadership in the home. God should still be be, be running the house, even in 2023. But we be careful not to let an outside influence such as family or culture override what God has laid out in Scripture. Then another failure. Many parents treat the child like an adult and not like a child. And this comes with too high of expectations. The goal is for that little baby boy to grow into a man. Not to grow into a woman. Or a man that acts like a woman. The goal... That little baby girl is to grow into a lady. That's the goal. But when they're a child, they're not there yet. They're becoming. You want to treat them in a way, certainly, where they can grow into that. But... I mean, would we have a hard time if we had a Sunday school teacher who was teaching five-year-olds and we treated them like 17-year-olds? Or how about first grade? They come in the first day of school. It's like, get out your chemistry books. Um, It's silly. But we need to treat the child like a child, not like an adult. I'll say a few things about that as we get along. That's the introduction. Everybody okay? Let me give you, I only have six things tonight when it comes to dealing with a child. This should be helpful to all of us. Chapter 22, verse 15, our text tonight. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Uh, Statement number one, a child will act like a child. A child will act like a child. See, some of you you wives, this is going to help you because your children may be grown, but your husband still lives with you. So a child will, will, will act like a child. Listen to me. A child makes a mess, is undisciplined, Loses his temper, 
lies, sleeps when they should be awake, and is awake when they should be asleep. Can I get an amen right there? Gets distracted, doesn't consider consequences, is selfish. That's a child. What is that? Foolishness. That's the way a child acts. So, well, Pastor, I just, I'm just not going to settle for that. Remember when you were seven, eight, nine, ten? You were a child, too. This is an important principle that I think we need to establish. A child will act like a child. If you look at your child and say, why, why aren't you acting like an adult? We won't say that, but they're going to act like a child. A child is going to, mom and dad, that, that little sweet little baby, oh, they're so precious, they're so, uh, they're so innocent, they're going to frustrate you. One day you're going to look at it and say, how can I love you and hate you all at the same time? I mean, they're going to frustrate you. They're going to challenge you. Uh, that's what they are. That home that looks like you could put pictures of it in a, in a magazine, just wait. That's what a, a, a child will act like a child. Well, my child, let me help some of you parents whose kids are in, in school. They're going to get in trouble. Well, the teachers never said my child got in trouble. They just didn't tell you. Now, some are, there's different levels of this. Some of you are on a first name basis with the detention teacher. That's a whole other subject. But a child's going to act like a child. Number two, this is going to build on each other. Go back to chapter number 20, chapter number 20, verse number 11. This is good. If you, if you, if you, there's a different mindset for somebody who teaches kindergarten and somebody who teaches 12th grade. There's a different mindset of a Sunday school teacher who's in three-year-olds and junior high. You're going to have to change your mindset as a parent from that when they're a baby and they grow to be a child, a teenager, that young adult. And all of these things are going to build on each other. We need to be reminded of that. Chapter 20, verse number 11. Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. This is one of those verses my mother quoted to me all the time when I was a, when I was a child. Um, let me give you statement number two. A child's future behavior can be predicted by their current behavior. Behavior. What's the Bible say? Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. See, sometimes, and I warn our school teachers of this, going from one year to the next, be careful judging a child that's coming into your classroom by what they did in the previous classroom because there can be growth over the summer. Because there can be maturity. See, some, some and, I've, and I've, I've, I've had a lot of conversations over the last six months especially. Your child, how they are now in that elementary classroom, they're always going to be labeled as the detention queen or the detention king. No, they'll forget. There'll be another one. That's not going to be the same child. But what it is, is a predictor of their current behavior. Now, I know some of you, I just say... My child's going, based on that, my child's going to be a gangster. Based on that, my child's going to be in the penitentiary. No, it's a predictor without correction. So just because you, you, and you think of, when you think of rambunctious, you think of all these things, you think of little boys usually. That's what a little boy is. Now, if that is unbridled, if there's no correction there, you get a picture of what it, they could be, what they're going to be known by. It, what it also plays into, it, there's, there's some psychology here as well. Their behavior now reveals where they need discipline. They may need discipline at 6 that they're not going to need at 16. Likewise, there's some discipline they may not need now at 6 that they're going to need at 12 and 13. Their behavior reveals where they need discipline. If you've got one child that if you just say, you know, all, all your children are different. If you have multiple children, they're all different. But Nathan, if you have them all at one time, they're, they're certainly different. But, you know, 
my oldest, Alyssa, you could, if dad was disappointed, she'd just melt. She would just, if, if, if I, she knew she disappointed me, that, that's what got to her. They got a lot more callous as they came along. That's all I'll say right there. But their different personalities gave insight into who God made them. The oldest needs some discipline here. The next one needs discipline everywhere. The next one's going to need discipline here. What it gives a it gives a prediction. It, show, it reveals their personality. All your kids have different personalities. Some have different personalities all in one person. But that's a whole other story. And when you see the personality they have, it affects their behavior. Somebody, and by the way, God gave them their personality. Is this making sense tonight? So somebody has the personality, they're laid back, they're just this and that. They're going to need different attention than somebody who's just, they're, they're, they're wired different. They, that, that, that mind is always going a different way. And, and they'll struggle at different parts of school usually. But it's because they have a personality. So where do you have to put that discipline in there? It's going to give you a predictor. If I don't have some correction, if I don't have some structure, this child is going to create havoc. A child's future, you know, you get it reveals their temper. They have a they have a temper when they're young. Well, they're gonna you're gonna have to deal with that. But you'll find that most kids have one. We could march over to the nursery right now and find one of those sweet children playing with a toy and go take that toy away from them. They'll start doing this number. They'll start turning green. You know they'll. They have a temper. So a child's future behavior can be predicted by their current behavior. Number three. I hope this is making sense tonight. Chapter 22, verse 6. Chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Just very simply put, he will not depart from it doesn't mean that they'll always make the right decisions if you train them right. But it means what was put into them will never leave them. So let me give some encouragement to the mom and dad who your children are adult. Or maybe you, you didn't know what the Bible said when you were in your children. Or, or you taught them the best you could and they made different decisions. It's not leaving them. It's in them. When they go to sleep at night, it's there. They know. And at any time, God can use that in their life. But I want to focus on, on statement number three. It's very simple. A child has to be trained. It's very simple and practical tonight. A child has to be trained. You know, they're, not, they're not like a pet. My dad's not here. He's preaching for Brother Aaron Harris tonight. And he just so I'll talk, I'll talk behind his back tonight. You know, since my, my mom passed away, we, we, he's living in a little apartment in our house, and so he's on the other side, and he, he just decided to get himself a dog, a lap dog, a boxer bulldog. <laughs> um, but he wanted to get, and I'm thank, thankful for this, he wanted to get a house broken before he brought it home. So it's a great, it's a great dog. Um, but it's housebroken, which is a good thing. Here's the point I'm trying to make, losing some of you on that. You're picturing my dad with a boxer bulldog running around that little apartment. Your children, you, can't, you don't have that option. You have that baby in the hospital and say, how's six months? Can we go ahead and put that on the calendar now? No, they're not going to be housebroken in two, six months? Okay, two years. When are they going to be potty trained? You tell me when they're potty trained. And I'll come by and pick them up. Or t- I'll tell you what, it, you just got a lot of their grandparents in them, and so when you, when you get that out of them, I'll come by and, and get them. No, that's not the way it works. They have to be trained. 
There's a, there's a lot of difference when you bring home that dog who has been trained and a little puppy who has no training. Your child has to be trained. Every child has to be trained. If you, if you teach a classroom of children, they have to be trained. That's what the first week or month of school is, depending on the grade. It's just nothing but training. This is what you do. This is how you do it. And this is what you do. And you go by there now, and they're like little robots. They stand like this and do this. Well, in most classes, they're like little robots, and they do all this. Why? Because they've been trained. But a child has to be trained. Now, let me give you the definition of this. To train or train up means to educate. This is, a great, this is something that bothers me, and, and I, I know that I'm, I'm not perfect in any of this, but we should not require that of a child of that which they do not know. The same is true of a baby Christian. If they do not know, we should not require it of them. Now, let me just say, they'll look you right in the face and say, I had no idea. But you can have some discernment that if, has this child been trained? Have they been educated to know what to do? It means to teach, to form. Notice that word by instruction or practice. To train them as you're forming them. How? By instruction, by practice. To bring up. You are telling them what to do. You're giving them instruction as a child and as they grow. It's, it's, it's as simple as don't touch that. And every child goes, well, here, hold this fork and put it in there then. You know, don't, don't, don't touch that. You, it's training them. You have to train them along the way. When you teach your children, it's like, it's Sunday morning, we're going to Sunday school. Well, I don't want to go to Sunday. You're going to Sunday school anyway. You know what you're doing? You're training them. Right. Well, they, you know, they, they start growing and say, well, I just don't think, I don't want to go to church. We're going to church. Right. By the way, mom and dad, some of you are training your kids how to be faithful to the things of God. Right. Why don't they love church? You train them that way. And on that note, there's a lot of, a lot of churches over the last 10 years that have been dying because they got no, no next generation. Right. And then they change and compromise. They say they don't want to be in our services. Well, can you blame them? You, you had them out when they were kids. You had them out in, in children's church. You, you had, teenagers aren't in church anymore. You have the special service for them. And then when they're out in the teen services, they're having pizza and, and hanging out and, and, and getting a lesson and then having an activity on Wednesday nights. They'll be in a Bible study. And then they graduate and you bring them in the church. They're like, well, this is no fun. They've been trained that way. We get upset because we train them a certain way. So we have to be conscious of that. We're, we're training them. I'll say, say this too. Uh, husband and wife, how you talk to each other, you're training your child. What's important, you're training them. You know, if, if, if there's, and again, I'm not above criticism, but if you criticize the pastor or one of the church in front of your kids, you're training them. Same but can be applied to the school teacher, to the principal, to, to the youth director, to, to, the, to the nursery worker, to whoever. We have to be very, very careful. A lot of times we look at our kids and it's like, wow, in the world they turn out that way. And we, without even realizing it, trained them. So, Pastor, a child has to be trained. You train up a child. How long? As long as they're a child. Well, I, my child matured early and at 12. Well, there, there are children that mature faster than others. But there are some, it's the day before their high school graduation, you're thinking, dear God, how in the world are they going to function? Don't panic over that because children mature at different ages. As a parent, you're just supposed to train them as long as you got them. Well, they don't get it. You keep training them. You keep training them. Number four. Aren't you glad I took extra time tonight? Chapter 23, verse 13. 
Don't miss what I'm about to teach you. Chapter 23, verse 13. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. How we, we understand a child's going to act like a child, right? We understand a child has to be trained. How is he trained? One of the ways he's trained is he's trained by example, but another way he's trained is trained by correction. And number four, a child must be corrected. I'm just going to be blunt when I say it. A child that's never corrected is a brat. A child that's never corrected is heading for trouble. A child must be corrected. What is correction? That which is intended to rectify or to cure faults, punishment, discipline, chastisement, that which corrects. I give this counsel when I'm counseling new parents. I've, I've reiterated this to both Brother French and Brother Roach when, with our schools. The point of correction is to change behavior. It's not to make a point. And if you teach in our ministries, I want you to listen very carefully to me. We correct. Well, I think they should do this. If I can rectify, I don't want to add any more rules than we have to add. Change the behavior. And, and parents, a lot of times, if you'd be willing to stop and say, correct that, you wouldn't have a bigger issue as that grows. It's just a matter of changing, changing their direction. It's intended to rectify. It, it is punishment. It's discipline. It's correct. There is no limit to correction because the purpose of correction is to rectify. That goes back to how long do I train them as long as they're a child? Well, how many times do I correct them? Every time they need correcting. Many of you who I've had discussions with through the years, you know I'm, when I say this, you've heard it before. Consistency. Be as consistent as possible. But what if I have to punish them every day? Then you punish them every day. You don't have to even raise the severity of the punishment because it's a continual thing because the point of the correction is to change the behavior. Dad is protesting your behavior. As long as I'm the authority, this is the consequence of the behavior. I'm not going to uh, tolerate that behavior. And you correct, and you correct, and you correct, and you correct. Well, well how, what if I have to do it, you know, all these, then you, all these days in a row, then you do it. Because the purpose of correction is to rectify. If you do not correct them, they will not know foolish behavior is unacceptable. Remember when we said, number one, a child will act like a child, the foolishness in the heart? They're going to do that as long as they're not corrected. Uh, they have to be, if you, if you do not correct them, they will not know foolish behavior is unacceptable. Okay, let's look at that verse again, 23 verse 13. It's a command, withhold not correction from the child. So, you're commanded to not withhold it. Notice what else the verse says. For if, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Now, I'm going to take a few moments, and I'm going to teach what that means in context. Because there's a lot of humanistic, rebellious people that will take that verse... And they will make it mean something it does not mean. Well, God advocates, the Bible advocates beating their child. No, it does not. Let me, I'll, I'll tell you what that means. You see that rod. And oh, it's even get a rod. Well, I'm not going to say here today and say, I didn't die. Let me explain what that means. Say, is the rod referring to spanking? Yes and no. Because there are more than one type of correction. It is referring to, I believe, a principle and a method. Are you following me? The rod 
was part of everyday life. I would say if 95% of you, if not all of you, to get here tonight, you got in a vehicle of some sort and you drove here. Much simpler than walking down a stony path, up a hill, down a hill, while you are going from one place to another, while you're out with your sheep or your oxen. A little simpler getting here tonight, right? The rod was part of everyday life. It was a walking stick, if you will. It was something you had to protect yourself. But it was also a tool of correction. Are you following me? As that man or that farmer or individual was walking along with his flock, with his, with his, with his oxen or her, whatever it was, and he had that rod, and one would get out of line. He would use the rod to correct him. Say, how did you use the rod to correct him? Do you just take it like a baseball bat? And No, the first thing they would do is take the rod and nudge them to just correct their course. But every once in a while, there is a really stubborn animal. They'd take that rod and they'd swat them. What was the purpose of that? To correct. The nudge was first. The swat came second. Now, whether it was a swat or a nudge depended on the danger or the unsubmissiveness. If they would nudge and nudge and nudge, then there was swat. If there was danger, hey, if you, if you keep going that way, there, there's danger there. The, the greater the force to put in that mind that I have to stay on course. You follow me? It was to correct. Let me tell you what it was not. That rod was not used to make a point to show who is boss, or to relieve frustration. That is not what that verse is talking about. Well, you're not going to die. As a parent, you have a responsibility to administer correction properly to your child. It's the rod of correction. If I can nudge, I'm going to nudge. If I have to swat, then I'm going to swat. But I'm never going to do that out of anger because when it's out of anger, it's about my inconvenience and not about correcting that child. If I'm going to do it out of anger, it's out of my frustration, not out of what's best for that child. Now, I think we ought to do what the Bible says and use the rod of correction. But I also believe that there are times when parents do not use it properly because it's not about correction, and it's about relieving frustration, making a point, or you embarrassed me. That's never the purpose of the rod of correction. So what the Bible is teaching, don't be afraid to use the rod of correction. Don't be afraid to correct because it's not correction and discipline is not going to kill them. Oh, you made me go clean my room. I'm going to die. No, that's not what it's teaching. Does this make sense? If it was to train a young animal or to correct a stubborn one, if the rod is used when they are young... Please don't miss this. If the rod is used when they are young, they are taught to listen to the voice of the master. When that new animal get out there and they get out and they nudge, it's like, who's that guy? 
They got out of line, swat. In the future, as soon as they heard the footsteps walk behind, getting back to where they're supposed to be. Or the voice would correct them. See, when you discipline your children when they're young, you're training them to listen to you. Because there's foolishness in their heart. They're going to listen to themselves. And you shouldn't, I mean, you, if the rod is used when they are young, they are taught to listen to the voice of the master. We must not use a swat when a nudge would have corrected. Be very careful. If you do that one more time, I'm going to tear you up. Well, if they do it one more time, now they may, it may be what they need, but you're on the hook. You're, I mean, the point is, if a nudge will work, use a nudge to correct. And a lot of times, we just worry follow their pressure. Well, well, if that was my kid, this is what I would do. Well, it's not your kid. And I've seen your kid. But anyway, <laughs> it's that outside pressure. I know my child. I know their personality. I know what makes them tick. I know how to deal with them. Some almost never respond to a nudge. That's just, they've got a stubborn streak in them this wide. Every child is a rebel, even yours. It is in every child that's ever been born. And some assert that more than others. And so it takes more than a little nudge. But if I can use a nudge, I'm going to use a nudge. That, that's the, and if some, if some don't agree with that's fine. That's the philosophy we have in our ministries, at our school. If you can use a nudge, use a nudge. You know, on the first day of school, don't, don't come out with, you know, the, the, the sledgehammer. You establish the authority, but as you deal with that individual, that child, you have a classroom of 20 kids, they all have different personalities. They all come from different backgrounds. They come from different homes. If I can nudge, I'm going to nudge. That's how whatever, you know, correct, if you'll allow me to use the, the, the word correction as I deal with people. You know, I'm going to get up there and just, just tear. No, no, I'm going to try to nudge. Because we don't, that's what a rod is. A rod isn't just to administer that spanking, if you will. Likewise, we must be willing to use a swat instead of a nudge when warranted. You know, I hope we're getting the idea that we've got to have the Holy Spirit's discernment and direction when it comes to dealing with our children. This is why correction, please, please listen to this, this is why correction is on purpose and not an emotional reaction. There have been times when I've waited days to correct my child. Not when they're three because they've already forgotten 30 seconds later. And by the way, if you have a child, well, how long is their attention span? If you wait 30 minutes, they ain't going to even remember what you're talking about. But there have been times when my children are older, I just, one, I didn't know exactly how to, and part of, what the, part of the correction was them waiting. But you can't, make, you can't be emotional. It's got to be on purpose. Let me give you one more illustration, and I'll move to the last couple carefully. I, I, I hope this makes sense. There's, if there's multiple children, it's always said by the older children, the youngest child gets less spanking than the oldest. Anybody agree with that? All the older children? The oldest think it's because the youngest is spoiled. Sometimes this is true. I hear it from my older two. She's just spoiled. And if you know my children, hearing that come out from my older two saying another one is spoiled anyway. They, they love it when, when, when I, I do this sort of thing, but... You know, but it might be because you become a better parent. Think on that. Because when you first get that child, and you're learning how to discipline. 
You're learning when to nudge and learning when to swat. You're learning how to use that rod. And you want to use it with wisdom to correct. Correction is the key. Sometimes when they're young and they don't understand, you just need to listen to dad. You just need to listen to mom. You're nudging them back, nudging them back. But the goal is that one day you don't have to use the rod because they're listening to your voice. Or they, they, they understand your presence. Let me give you number five. Chapter 23, verse 24 and 25. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. Number five, the child has the ability to bring joy to his parents. Now, to the child, to the children that are in the room, I'm going to address you in just a moment. But the child has the ability to bring joy to his parents. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. This is not how it happens. You have that baby, and the doctor comes to you. Congratulations. We've tested him, and you beget a wise child. That's not how it works. They're not born with wisdom. They have to, they have to obtain it. See, the brings joy to his parents. See, children, and that's the teenagers, that's all the way down. When you yield to the training and submit to the correction as instructed by tr- Scripture, the result will be wisdom, which prevents destruction and brings blessings in the child's life. As a parent, as somebody who deals with a child, you are responsible for the instruction. You are responsible to deal with that child as God tells you to deal with that child. You're not responsible for the result. Did you hear what I just said? You are only responsible to deal with that child as God commands you to deal with that child. You are not responsible for the result. But if you deal with them as God instructs them then they have the, the result is they can have wisdom which prevents destruction and brings blessings in the child's life. Young people, listen to me. If you will listen to your parents as they, they train you, they correct you, they, 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 they rear you, listen to them. Those that, that, that have a person of authority in the, in the school, or in Sunday school, or your pastor, or youth director, listen to them. That can bring wisdom and prevent destruction in your life, but bring blessings to you. You have the ability to bring joy to the heart of your parents. But understand this verse of Scripture. And he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. This is deferred joy. Do not miss this principle, mom and dad. If you're living for joy in that four-year-old, in that five-year-old, in that six-year-old, you could be sacrificing that deferred joy as it's revealed in this child. There's wisdom there now. If you're not willing to correct and correct and train and do all those things, and how long do I have to do this? Well, as long as they're a child. Or you're like, well, I just, you know, I think it's cute, or, or I know what the pastor's teaching, I know what the Bible said, but I turned out pretty well. Now, let's have a vote on that, but that, and you can have that mindset. And it may be true, but that's by the grace of God. You could, be, you could be sacrificing the joy that comes from a wise child because you're trying to shortcut now. A parent must train and correct, and the child must yield and obey. This joy is experienced as a child, making mature, mature decisions, and a child becomes a man. If you'll permit me tonight to use one of my own children, my oldest child, Alyssa. Did you know we're expecting our first grandchild? I just want to remind you of that. Do you hear it's going to be a boy? I just want to remind you of that. Boy, growing up, I was like, 
Where did that girl get her stubbornness? And you're like, Alyssa, you need to make sure you do this. And Alyssa, make sure you do this. And by the grace of God, you go visit her now. And I'm like, what in the world happened to you? I don't, I, I, I never thought she'd find a boy that she would be willing to marry. That's when she said, I like Colin. I said, Colin, you better propose to her right now. What, what's the point? She was always put in the right place to hear the right thing. And there were times when there was, it wasn't very joyous, but it was deferred joy. And, and what would be the goal of every teenager over here and every child is one day, long after you're out of mom and dad's house, when mom and dad thinks of you, and you come to visit, and when they talk about you, it's nothing but joy. Why? Because that's joy deferred. Let me give you number six and I'll be done. I'm already past time, but I said I, I, the last one. Chapter 29, verse 15. I'll just mention this and we'll be done. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringing his mother to shame. Number six, an undisciplined child will bring shame. We have to correct we have to train that discipline. That doesn't just mean, well, that, that child never got a spanking. No, there's more to it than just that. It's, it's discipline, putting discipline in their life. That's right. that, that you, you don't correct in that way just because you, well, just, you, you just seem to be due for one. Well, where's, the, where's that discipline? Shame, it's talking about shame in the life of a child. There's a lot of children who say, do you get upset at them? I don't get upset at them. Say, so where was your mom and dad? I mean, they, you had an opportunity. They had an opportunity to be reared under the word of God. But I believe that shame can be applied to the parent as well. There's shame on them for not putting discipline in. And we got a culture today that's out of control. It didn't just happen overnight. It happened with a lot of parents who shook their responsibility 20 years ago. 25 years ago. And now we're, we're reaping the consequences of that. It's a shame. Hey, don't, don't, don't bring them into the world if you're not going to rear them the way God said to rear them. Let me give you some, just in conclusion, I think, Practically, don't coddle your child. Treat them like a child, but don't baby them, don't coddle them when they don't need to be coddled. If they're 17, they can do their laundry. They can cut the grass. They can clean the kitchen. You're welcome. Don't try to even out life for them. Because... They had something happen, something I had to learn, my wife had to learn at a very a long time ago when we lost Amanda, is we're not going to try and even out life for Alyssa. That's God, God takes care of that. That's God's responsibility. Don't even out life for them. It's going to get harder. Love them, but let them struggle. Let them struggle. And then here's the one that I'll be very lonely on, let them fail. Let them fail. If you're honest, the greatest lessons you ever learned was from your own failures. Now, don't send the kids into school tomorrow and tell them to bomb their tests. That's not what I'm talking about. Pastor said not to turn in the homework. No, I, you're, 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 you're twisting that. That's not what I said. But at some point, and God's got to give you the wisdom of when, at some point your child's got to know that you're not going to walk in and save them. That with them and God, they're going to have to figure it out. They're going to have to take care of it. Now, that goes against our tendency. Because we see our child in trouble. 
As soon as we hear that whimper, I've got to go run in there and see. And it don't take them long to train you, does it? Hey, let's, let's, let's make sure that we're rearing our children or dealing with children in the Bible way. Father, help us tonight. As